Welcome to the First Baptist Church podcast from First Baptist Church in Navasota, Texas. For more information, visit fbcnavasota.org. Ross made a comment earlier on, and I want to share with you uh, about it. He said uh, that when you're here and you're you're in the beginning of the service and you we're, we're praising God, giving thanks and praise to God, that this is your participation time, okay? And that when Clyde gets up to speak, you're supposed to listen, all right? That is not entirely 100% true. Um I have been accused a, a, a couple of times by a few people that are here this morning, uh, and you know who you are, that I have gone, uh, I have expanded God's Word completely, thoroughly, and longly. I know it's not a word, but longly. Um, I, I actually had a guy that when I was in the middle of preaching a sermon, got up to leave. He was he was right here in the front, not at this church, right here in the front. And I I couldn't help it. I just I was like, "Where are you going?" And he he said, "I'm going home to shave." And I said, "Hi." Time him. Here we go. Got him captured. All right. Um I that ruined my story, but anyway, I'm, I, I'm gonna get, y'all have to endure this, all right? And so he's walking out. He said, "I'm going home to shave." And I said, "Well, shouldn't you have done that before you came to church?" And he said, "I did." Think about it; it'll come to you, all right? Wow, we need some coffee here, quick. Um, why we're here, folks, is not to go and have church; it's to have worship and worship centers around us focusing all of our attention, all of what we say, all of what we do up to God, not to each other or for the impression that we make by going to church. Uh, I want to share with you that it's important for us to do that because God says that He inhabits the praise of His people. He inhabits that. In other words, He's surrounded by people that want to go ahead and be locked into what He's doing. So I'm going to ask you a question this morning. And this is the question. What is your story? What is your story? If somebody came up to you and said, where are you from? Who's your family? What do you do? You'd go ahead and answer those questions, probably sequentially down, and say, this is who I am, this is what I do, this is where I'm from, all, all of that. By the way, and I'm going to share this with you, Jeff and his family are, are, you all are moving to Marshall when? When, when? when do you all move to Marshall? All right, in January. And so where he has been serving our district and, and, and now is going to be serving a different school district, if you had asked him, let's say back in, in, late, in, in early summer and said, okay, Jeff, where... Where are you from? And he would give you a, de- a, 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 a quick de- declination. But this is where I'm from, this way. And you say, where do you live? And he would say, I live in Navasota. I serve Navasota Independent School District. We know how to do that. We know how to tell our story. Some people are excellent storytellers. Some people are wonderful. Um, do you know who this is? 
Do you know who, who, who this is? Do you know who that is? His name's Morgan Freeman, okay? He's an actor, and he possesses one of the greatest voices that God has ever given a man. He's appeared in Academy Award-winning movies, uh, and his, in his later years, he's now 82 years old, in his later years, he's been the voiceover from everything, for advertisements from Visa to Ken Burns documentaries. Morgan Freeman has a tremendous voice, and he is known now, he's kind of been, been given the moniker as being the nation's greatest storyteller, because he will do voiceovers for everything from political ads all the way over to, to these wonderful shows that you and I get a chance to watch. He's been hailed as this nation's great storyteller, but sadly, he does not believe in God's story that we find in the Bible. And he would take issue this, with this morning's scripture that we're going to read. You see, the writer of the book of Psalms, and in particular Psalm 14, was surrounded by people that were like this great actor. Folks that didn't believe in God's story and didn't have time for anything like that in their lives. They, there were harsh words and hard words that are found in Psalm 14. But the first two verses of Psalm 14 give us one thing that everyone in this room needs, and that is hope. Hope that God is watching today to see who believes here at First Baptist Church. And that means He has hope for you and me. I'm going to invite you to do what we do every single Sunday morning. When we read God's Word, we stand. And we do that because we want to stand to, re to honor the reading of God's holy and perfect Word. So stand with me. And I'm going to invite you to read with me Psalm 14, verses 1 and 2. The fool says in his heart, There is no God. They are corrupt, and their deeds are vile. And there is no one who does good. The Lord looks down from heaven on all of mankind to see if there are any who understand, any who seek God. May God bless the reading of His Word. Please be seated. Now, in light of the fact that of the fellow that left earlier that needed to shave, I'm hoping that this morning's service and sermon is going to be a short one. Not for the sake of your backsides, but for the fact that, that you and I, when we come to worship God, are not about going ahead and listening to somebody talk about God. What we really want to do when we come to worship is experience God to sense His Holy Spirit beginning to drag you and me from where we are and where we were to the place that He wants us to become. And the only way that can happen, folks, is when we know that there's a God who loves us and a God who has only one story. You see, God only has one story. It's a love story that is found in the Bible. It's complex. Because he is not bound by one thought or by the words of a preacher or anyone else. God isn't comfortably stuffed in a little box that we can put away until a Sunday morning and then drag out and say, it's God time. No, God doesn't want that. As a matter of fact, if you try and do that with God, 
God will go ahead and say, until you've got yourself straightened out where I can use you and be a part of every single moment of your life, He will simply fade carefully into the background of your life. He'll be one of the adornments on the wall that you have in your home. But He cannot be Lord and Savior of your life until you are willing to sacrifice everything that is you in your story over to Him. God only has this one story. And it's about a man who died in your place and lived again. You see, from Genesis chapter 1 until the last verse in the book of Revelation, the story of God's Son is revealed point by point. It starts with Him before creation, before the creation of all of the world that you see today. And it ends with yet another promise of one thing, and that is this. Jesus is coming back for you. For you. We read that all the time in the Bible when, when Paul writes about it. And when he says, look, these are the things that you need to look for, and it kind of stirs us to say, well, is this happening in the world? Is this happening? Is this a checkpoint? Checkpoint? Is Jesus going to come back now because of... And we play this little kind of game. Let me share with you. There's no one on earth that knows when Jesus Christ will return. No one. Gene Dixon didn't know. The preacher that you see on television that says Jesus is coming back and He's going to come back on this date. Let me share with you. Jesus Christ Himself, who is at the right hand of the Father, does not know when God will say, Go get your church. But God's Word says clearly He's coming back. And He's coming back for you. Now I tease my friend Sam all the time. Sam, he says I'm going to be alive when Jesus Christ comes back. I don't know if he will or not. I hope he is. I do know that he'll come back during some of you all's, your all's life right now. Some of you that are here today that are drawing breath, Jesus will return during your lifetime. I believe that fully. I had a pastor who said that when I was a teenager. I'm hoping he's right. Hey, you got that one. Good. I'm hoping he's right because I wasn't there when Jesus first walked on the earth, but I want to be able to see him when he returns. And when he comes, the Bible says that he will come with you in mind. And if you close your eyes and take your last breath before his return, the Bible says when you open your eyes, he will be right there in front of you. And he will say, Welcome into the kingdom that I've prepared for you since the foundation of this earth. Or he will say the four words that are the most difficult to hear, I never knew you. Jesus is coming back for you. It is part of God's one story. A story that you and I have a chance to go ahead and share together our church only has one story. And that story is the Word of the living God, Jesus Christ Himself. It is written in His book, the Bible. This is the Word of the living God. John's Gospel, chapter 1, helps you and me understand that, relation, that relationship, how the Word was there from the very beginning of time. And it is alive at the same time today. We have the written Word because of folks like Tyndale and Knox 
and King James of England. By the way, that's not the King James that plays basketball in Los Angeles. That's King James, the crown of England, who decided that he wanted a Bible written that would be clear for his subjects, written in English, clear for his subjects to understand. Now, some of you that have the King James Bible may say, man, this is difficult English and hard to understand the nuances of it. In those days, it was the clearest English possible. There are great translations that you can get right now that share God's Word clearly. And I encourage you to go ahead and find one that you're comfortable with. Because guys, listen, don't ever come to church to get your fill of religion for the week. To get your fill of Jesus. That's like somebody saying, I'm going to only eat one meal a week and it'll be Sunday morning between 10.30 and 11, well, between 10.30 and noon. Yeah, got that one too, didn't you? I'm only going to eat one time a week. Your body is going to demand that you have more than that for sustenance. And your spirit needs that as well. Find a Bible that you can read. Take time to go ahead and do it. If you say, well, I don't know what to read in the Bible. Where do I start? Do I start at Genesis chapter 1? What happens when I get to, to Numbers and we start getting to the begats? Boy, that's inspiring stuff. No, take the Gospel of John. By the way, your Bible is divided in two parts. And I'm telling you this because I was raised, I was raised in a church that we lovingly didn't bring our Bibles to. We didn't bring Bibles to church in the Scottish Presbyterian Church. We listened to the pastor as he shared God's Word. But we didn't bring it ourselves. I'm going to share with you, you need your own Bible. You need to bring it. Not because I'm going to say anything worth writing down in the notes of your Bible, but because God may say, hey, look at this deeper. I've got something deeper here for you that the pastor didn't even cover. When you get your Bible... Look in the Old Testament and the New Testament. And in the New Testament, you're going to find a book there called the Gospel of John. And if you're trying to figure out a place where you could start in your own personal Bible study, start there. John's Gospel is the God. This is all free. This had nothing to do with the sermon, okay? John's Gospel is from the, the follower of Jesus that was his closest, closest, intimate friend among the twelve. And so what he does is not say so many of the sayings of Jesus, but he instead goes ahead and shares the person of Jesus. John's Gospel is the one in chapter 11 where it says Jesus wept. And he's weeping at, at the funeral of his best friend, a guy by the name of Lazarus. He's crying there because Lazarus is the brother of Mary and Martha. And Mary and Martha are giving Jesus a hard time because when they find it, when he found out that Lazarus was sick, it took him four days to get from Plantersville to where we're seating this morning. Four days. I don't care who you are. In four days, everyone in this church could manage to walk that distance. But Jesus didn't get there. And Lazarus died. And Mary and Martha say, if you had just been here, we've seen you heal people, he'd be alive right now. And he says to them, he's going to be alive, don't worry. Well, I believe in the resurrection, but you know, the resurrection is a long way off, Jesus. I, you know, they start on and on and on. And John's Gospel is the one that tells that story. Not just the words of Jesus, 
but his feelings and how he dealt with all of the things that you and I deal with. Start there. God's story is one that is written in his book, the Bible. And his story comes alive in your life and mine. You see, the great joy about God's story and your story is that they can have a meeting point. His story can become your story too. God is not some remote deity that you meet with for an hour or an hour and a half each Sunday morning in a building on Church Street. No, He wants instead to be with you 24 hours a day, 7 days a week, 365 and a quarter days a year. He wants to be a part of your life when you leave this building, not just when you enter. How can He do that? Here's the great joy that I will share with you. This is not God's meeting place for you and me. This sanctuary is not it. The Bible says that Jesus Christ, when He died, promised the disciples that they would receive one who would indwell them, live inside of them, the Holy Spirit of the living God. I'm going to tell you to take a little trip back in your Bible to Genesis chapter 1 and 2. And when you read about the creation, what you're going to find is there's a part of the story that says this. Have you... See if you remember this. Let us create man in our image. Who's God talking to? God is one. Who's He talking to? He's talking to the pre-born, pre-incarnate Jesus Christ. And He's talking to the Spirit of the living God. Three in one. Again, I'm not here to tell you how to, how to understand the Trinity, but I'm going to go ahead and share with you something real quick about it. Loy, stand up. For those of you all that don't know, this is Loy Coffey, financial planner, genius, all-around good guy, but he stepped below himself and married a Baylor girl, okay? Oh, hush, hush. It's all, I'm just teasing Sharon. Just kidding. All right. So, Loy is a daddy. He's a daddy to three children, all right? Ricky, Michael, and Rachel. He's a dad. He's also a husband to Sharon. He's also a son to Wanda. That is three completely different roles wrapped up in one person. So when we sit there and say, well, how can God be one and be three at the time? He can be one and three at the time in the exact same way. And you are too. You are too. Thank you, Loy. Protect me from Sharon, please. He's also a protector, all right? He can be three in one. God is one, and He's three in one. And the Holy Spirit is that part of God that comes and dwells in your life and mine. And that's how His story, God's story, can be your story too. Where He comes and He takes the Jesus-shaped part that is a hole in your life, and He fills it. And He resides there. And He is there as you walk out of this place and as you walk into this place. That's how God can make His story your story as well. His story becomes alive in you. He's not some remote deity. Instead, it comes down to one real simple question this morning. It's the, first, it's the same one that we started off this morning with. 
What is your story? What is your story? If somebody asks you, who are you? Where are you from? What do you do? God ends up putting a little caveat to what is your story. What is your story with God? What is your story with God? You see, every single one of us has a story with God this morning. The story is one of two things. Number one, I have chosen to follow a God and to allow Him to come and lead my life. I've chosen to do that. By the way, God's already chosen you. But you choose to allow Him to come into your life. I've chosen to do that. Or you're here this morning and you would say, I have not chosen to allow God to do that. There's only one of two parts of God's story in your life right now. If you are that first person, you're a person that has allowed God to shape your life and to come into your life. And guys, that doesn't come by being baptized or joining a church. It comes by simply bowing your head this morning and saying, God, if this isn't some silly joke that the guy up on the stage is talking about, then I want you to come into my life and make me like you. Those are the words that God will honor if you go ahead and pray them and bring them to His throne. And just like we shared in, in Psalms chapter 14, verses 1 and 2, when you get to, to that second verse, it says right now that God is watching to see if anybody will believe Him. He wants you to believe Him and to follow Him for the rest of your life. He wants to be able to see you face to face and utter those words, welcome home. He doesn't want to have, there is no person, listen to me folks, there's no person that has ever been born that God wants to send to eternal hell. And by the way, God doesn't send them there. We send ourselves by not believing. He's right now waiting for His story to become your story. And my hope and prayer is that you will say yes to Him. Let's pray. Holy Father, thank You for storytellers. The storytellers and the 40 plus folks that helped write Your Bible, it is authored only by You. And this morning there's a story that is being written in every single life that is here this morning in this sanctuary. And it is your story of you calling us to a walk and a faith in your son Jesus who was there before the creation of what we stand on right now. Who is there right now at your side. Whose Holy Spirit is right now knocking on the door of our heart and saying, will you let me in? We have the right to say an eternal yes or no to the eternal God. I pray, Father, that this morning we'll tear down all of those walls that you'll be able to come in as you say you will and forgive and to heal and to cleanse and to make us what we cannot make ourselves. That's like you. Take these next few minutes, Father. This is a time of commitment. 
This is a time also where we say yes to you. And I pray those will be the only words that come out of our mouth and in our heart. We pray this in Jesus' name. God's people said, Amen. Folks, at the end of our service at this portion, we have a song. It's called an invitation or a time of commitment. This is the time where if God is speaking to you about a decision that needs to be made, I'm going to be here at our altar area. And if God is calling you to make a first-time commitment to Him, calling you to go and plug into a church family, this is that time and that right place, and your answer to Him is yes, then I would love to pray with you about that here at our altar. During this song, God is speaking and calling your name. You come. I'd love to pray with you about it. Stand together. Let's worship and sing the Lamb of God. You come as God leads.